Are you prepared to meet Jesus if he came to you tomorrow? A U.S. Archbishop is elevated to Cardinal, and is COVID part of God's plan for our world? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Greetings, Bishop. Happy Advent. (laughs) Thank you, John. Happy Advent to you, and it's good to be with you today. And uh, good to be with you. How was your Thanksgiving? You know, it was uh, it was really enjoyable. I know um, Thanksgiving this year was very different for many families, and for me it was as well. I wasn't able to get together with my family, with my brother, as I had originally planned to do. It just didn't work out for either of us, but had a very, very nice family that I've gotten to be friends with here in St. Petersburg, invited me to their home, and we enjoyed a, a really good dinner. Well, I'm sure they were thrilled to have the local bishop uh, in their home as well. Well, I was happy to be invited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And that was, that was coming off of the meetings for the USCCB. It was. And again, those meetings look very different this year. Also, as we've talked about in the past, yeah. they were all done virtually. They were live streamed and you know online just over two days and probably a total of about eight or nine hours. So a lot shorter than they usually would be when we meet in person uh, up in Baltimore at a different location. Uh, just a very limited kind of essential agenda. In fact, there were, I think, just three items on the agenda that required votes by the body of bishops. One was to approve our strategic plan for the conference for the next three years. Another one was to reconstitute or authorize the continuing work of the ad hoc committee against racism that the bishops formed several years ago. And then finally, something that I had to do, which was to present our budget for the conference for next year. How did that go? Well, I'm happy to say, John, it, it, it passed by, I think, about 194 votes to one against. Oh, so it was yeah. overwhelming. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, and I know there were some positions that were up for grabs as well. Always there's committee chairmen that kind of term out of their um, roles as, as chairman. So we're always electing new committee chairmen mm-hmm. and, and different positions. Uh, we didn't elect or need to elect a new president of the conference this year. Uh, Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles remains our conference president. We did elect a new general secretary, who's Monsignor Jeff Burrell, from the Diocese of Green Bay. So he'll serve. He has a very important and very very busy role uh, there at the conference. You know, you can imagine, John, sure. having to, to work with like 300 bishops. Right. You know? Well, our, our former bishop here in the diocese, Bishop Robert Lynch, was a general secretary for one time. And was it, is it Bransfield? Monsignor Brian Bransfield from Philadelphia served as the, uh, the, the previous general secretary. Okay, and yeah. so now he's gone back to a parish? He'll be uh, taking a little bit of a sabbatical, well-deserved time off, and then he'll be transitioning back, I believe, to parish life sure. in his home archdiocese. Right, and who knows where God will take him after that. <laughs> there you go. As I know very well, and <laughs> as others do, you never know what God's will might be. That's right. Well, speaking of that, one of our U.S. archbishops was officially named Cardinal, and that's uh, Wilton Gregory. Archbishop Wilton Gregory was uh, not only named, but then installed, I guess. Is that the right term? Well, he consecrated. Yeah, he was consecrated. He received the, the red hat or the, right. the, the dignity of, of, of um, Cardinal, you know, at, at the Vatican. It was held at St. Peter's uh, Basilica uh, this past weekend. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so he, he was elevated to Cardinal. And of note, as, as some of the listeners may have heard, he's the first 
African-American archbishop or bishop to be elevated to cardinal. So quite a historic moment as well for the church here in the, in the United States. The position that he has is currently in Washington. That's typically or has been typically a, a station for a cardinal, I guess. What determines what locales receive the cardinal, the red hat? Sure. So there's a couple of reasons that somebody would be made a cardinal or elevated to be a cardinal of the Catholic Church. One of them is because they lead a diocese or an archdiocese of significant size and influence. So, for example, as you mentioned, some archdioceses like New York or Boston typically would have a a cardinal who would be leading those churches. So when Archbishop Gregory was appointed to Washington earlier this year, it was kind of thought that he might receive that elevation at some point. Then the other reason that uh, a priest even or a a bishop or archbishop receives uh, is named a cardinal is because they've made some significant contribution to the life of the church. And so they're given that recognition for it. An example would be uh, Father Renero Counta La Mesa, who uh, some of listeners may have heard of before. He's been the preacher to the papal household for decades now, going back over several pontificates. He's a Franciscan and uh, just a very, very humble priest and a wonderful preacher. I might think he's in his 80s now, but uh, Pope Francis did name him a cardinal in recognition of his service to the church. There probably had to be some thinking from the Vatican point of view and whoever makes those, ultimately it's the Holy Father, but there's some recommendations I would think that would go there. With the racial tensions that we've seen in over the decades here in the United States, that an African-American would be put into that role, ultimately, it's got to send some kind of signal. Yeah, I think there's a lot of thought that goes into it. But as you said, and and particularly under the pontificate of Pope Francis, Pope Francis is one of the College of Cardinals to look like the church. And so he has gone out of his way to appoint cardinals from countries that, you know, maybe didn't have one before, but are are continuing to grow in the faith so that the the cardinals, the cabinet, the pope's cabinet, so to speak, uh, does represent the church. And yet here in the United States, we've seen somewhat of a demographic shift. Uh, in the early stages of our country, most of the population was on the East Coast, Boston, New York, Washington, and, and even in other parts. Now we're seeing a, a push to the West. I think there was a Cardinal in, in Los Angeles, Roger Mahoney, right? There was. Cardinal Mahoney was the Archbishop of Los Angeles for many years. He's retired now, and right. he's now over the age of 80. The uh, current Archbishop there, uh, Archbishop Gomez, who I mentioned a, a little while ago, uh, has not been elevated to a Cardinal yet, but it certainly could happen at really at any point. And as you said, population, the demographics, the geographics of the Catholic Church have changed. We see a lot of growth taking place in the West, Southwest, and the Southeast, even here within our own state of Florida. Uh, The church continues to grow, and uh, an indication of that is that some parish churches are are still being built and established to, to accommodate the spiritual needs of the faithful. So would it have been in poor form to name two cardinals from one country in one year? No, um, there are limits as to how many cardinals can exist at one time. So the maximum number that can go into conclave at any time to elect a new pope, which is one of the 
main responsibilities that the cardinals have to elect the the next pope uh, is 120 okay. uh, voting cardinals. Now, some of the cardinals are over the age of 80, which is the the age limit for having a vote in the conclave. Again, those are kind of honorary things that are sure. done to to recognize their work. But others are very much under the age of 80. I know there were a couple this time that I believe that were in their mid 50s. So they're going to be cardinals probably for quite a while, and right. they will have that responsibility of going into the Sistine Chapel when a pope needs to be chosen, praying to the Holy Spirit, and be involved in that process of electing a new pope. Yeah, I would think that uh, somewhere down the road, we might see a Hispanic cardinal here in the United States, not saying that it would be Archbishop Gomez, but who knows well, oh it, it certainly could. And again, that would be more representative of the Catholic Church here in the U.S. at this time, as we've seen tremendous growth in terms of Hispanic Catholics here in our country. You had mentioned that some are of outside of age, and there's others that are what they call, what, in pectore? Explain that term. Occasionally, um, cardinal will be named in pectore, which means uh, in, in the heart. In other words, it's not publicly known. It's only made known to that cardinal who is named. And the reason I, I can't think of one recently that's been uh, named that way would be if uh, they exist in a country where there might be political tension, so there might be some threat to their safety or well-being if they're, they're viewed as becoming too powerful, even in their role in the church. So it would be as a way of recognizing them but not making it public to protect the person's safety. Okay. I know I've, I've heard that and read it in places, but it's something that's not often talked about. We here in the United States saw the the discussion about stacking the Supreme Court and even creating more roles. And you just mentioned that you can only have 120 voting. Does the Holy Father in the Vatican select men not only off their virtue, but maybe the direction that they want to go as far as a, a certain slant, per se? Now, John, I know you're not suggesting that there's politics within the church, no, but, no. but that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know how much thought is given to the political aspect sure. of it, but but I, I would say this, that the longer that a pope is pope, the more opportunities he has to choose those cardinals who will elect the next pope. So if he does think that the church is moving in a certain direction, he might look to name some cardinals that are in line with that, and certainly that could be an influence uh, at the next conclave. But I would just remind everyone and say that we, we still believe that it's the, while the cardinals vote, that they're guided by the Holy Spirit. Sure. And, and that the pope that is elected is the one that was chosen by God to fulfill that role as a successor of Peter, as the vicar of Christ and to lead his church today. More than ever, uh, you are called to leave your cell phone and your ego at the door when you go into that conclave, and it's everything is, is secret. Isn't that the truth? They have to swear to secrecy, not only while they're there, and that, you know, given the technology today, they're, they're no longer locked inside the Sistine Chapel during a conclave. It used to be that they would lock the doors and they would actually live there until oh, wow. a new pope was elected. <laughs> Wow. Mm. Not sure if you can imagine that, but uh. Uh, but today they can actually leave, and there's a residence on the grounds of the Vatican where the cardinals stay during a conclave, and then they travel back and forth in private for each day for the voting and discussion and prayer. But yeah, no, you have to swear secrecy during the conclave, but also afterward. You know, you're not really supposed to talk about the votes and the results, uh, anything like that. Yeah. Now, sometimes that information does get out, 
we're not sure exactly how. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, they, they should keep it uh, in secret. Sure. Well, we've been talking about uh, the men in red, and this is the season of purple because it's Advent. And you and I touched on the beginning of Advent in our in our last program. But one of the things about Advent is a time of hope and a time of reflection back on the year and really making atonement for our sins and recognizing those things. This year is a little bit different. Usually there are opportunities for reconciliation and penance services around the diocese, but because of COVID, things have changed a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, they sure have. And um, before we get into that, you know, you mentioned the season of Advent, which, uh, of course, marks the beginning of a new liturgical year and precedes the celebration of Christmas. And the, the color purple, we often think of as a penitential color. Priest wears it during Advent. The priest wears uh, purple vestments during Lent before Easter. But as you mentioned, it's also a, a sign of hope. You know, you think about the morning sky. You know, just as the sun begins to pierce the darkness and come up over the horizon, very often you'll see kind of purple or bluish hues in the Mm -hmm. sky marking the beginning of a new day. And for this, for us as Catholics, the beginning of a new liturgical year and a time of hope as we await the Savior. So so we shouldn't, you know, not pay attention to the... um, to the symbols, the colors, the different things that we celebrate during our liturgical year. Advent certainly provides an opportunity to celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation as a means of preparing to celebrate Christmas, but also as a reminder that we are awaiting our Savior to come in glory at the end of time. So we want to be ready for that as well, and we want to keep our hearts and our souls pure. Because of COVID this year, a lot of our parishes won't be having the traditional uh, penance services where you could possibly get several hundred people and then multiple, multiple priests hearing confession. Some will, but others will be just having expanded time for confession. So I would just encourage everyone to check your parish bulletin or parish website to see when the confession times recommend reconciliation times will be this year. And I know for a lot of Catholics, it's been a little more difficult to even go to Mass for some, much less go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Um, But it is important that we cleanse ourselves and confess. But some people who haven't been in a while or those that aren't Catholic said, well, why do I have to confess? I can, God knows my sins, and and why do I have to go tell a priest? (laughs) Well, because our Lord, Jesus Christ, entrusted the sacrament of reconciliation, the ability to forgive sins to the apostles who then gave that power, passed on that power to the priest to do so. So we we do celebrate this sacrament as an opportunity to confess our sins. And then the priest who acts in the person of Jesus Christ uh, forgives, it's actually God who forgives the sins, but the priest is the instrument by which that forgiveness is given through the absolution during the sacraments. So again, we are required to go to confession to confess mortal sins or the most serious sins. Venial sins can be uh, atoned for privately in our prayer at the beginning of Mass when we call to mind our sins by making an act of contrition privately, and then of course receiving the Eucharist as well. But serious sins, mortal sins, do need to be forgiven through the sacrament of confession. Is Father going to remember my confession? (laughs) No. No? I, John, I mean, the, if I confess to you, you're telling me you wouldn't remember later on? No, no offense, John, but I don't want to remember. <laughs> well, I, I, see, and, and that's, the, that's the hard part. Full confession for me, that's difficult for me because it brings back memories of things that I've done that I'm so ashamed of sometimes. Yeah. It causes me fear to go and have to admit it. 
I can't speak for every priest, but I can speak for myself and some other priests that I've talked to and we've discussed this. It seems like God gives us a grace through ordination uh, that if he's asking us to celebrate the sacrament with the faithful, uh, that we're not going to be burdened with remembering (laughs) all those sins and all those things. And, And I can honestly say I don't. I can't. First of all, as a bishop, I don't have the opportunity to hear a lot of confessions anymore. But even when I was a priest, I mean, I, I just never thought about it. You know, it was just nothing that ever came to mind. Or when I saw somebody said, oh, I remember what they did, you oh, yeah, know. Right. So um, I don't know if that gives anybody any confidence well, about going to confession. But that's the, the th- I, I would hope that that would not keep anybody away from the sacrament. Right. I, and I've heard people say that, okay, I don't want to go to my pastor, but I'll go to the church three blocks down the road. And that's fine, you know. I believe me as a bishop, I go. I go to confession. I hope that's not a surprise to anybody. But but because of the fact I'm in a diocese and it might be burdensome for me to go to one of my own priests here, I do take opportunities when I'm traveling if the sacrament is being offered to avail myself of the sacrament. And because uh, we need forgiveness more than anybody, I think, sure. as bishops and as priests. I know that some people who haven't been for a while are a little nervous can tell you like going to the men's conference or the women's conference. They haven't been to confession in a while. They don't remember the formula. What am I supposed to say? And what is my act of contrition? That shouldn't keep you away either. No, not at all. In fact, uh, sometimes people will be away so long they're even embarrassed to tell the priest that they've been away for five years or 10 years or 20 years. And just my own experience as a priest was when somebody would come in and say, you know, Father, I haven't been to the sacrament in a long time, like 20 years. I would. My first reaction is, well, praise be to God that you're here today. You is know? it important that you say a number? It, it's helpful. It's not required, but it is helpful that you tell the priest how long it's been, just because that might assist him with offering you some better spiritual counsel on overcoming uh, your faults or your weaknesses and your sins. But it's not required that you do so. But it's traditional to say, you know, bless me, Father. It's been four weeks since my last confession or six months and and then to confess your sins. Now, you know, there are probably some people that may go to confession during the season of Advent. They haven't been in a long time. They're feeling rushed because Father's only going to be there for an hour and they know they got 10 people behind them, but it's been 20 years. It's important to know that you can set up an appointment with the priest too. Right. Confessions, I think at every parish are always available by appointment. Of course, some are hesitant to do that because you're going to be sitting down, you know, face to face with the priest in most cases. But again, the the fear and the worry should not outweigh the grace that you're going to receive from that sacrament. You know, you mentioned the, the different prayers or things that we have to say during the sacrament, like a prayer of contrition or active contrition. And we might not remember that prayer right. that we learned as a kid. Again, that's that's not an issue. It's not a problem. You just say to the priest, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering an act of contrition. Could you help me? Priest is happy to help you. He'll usually say, well, let us pray together or repeat after me, and he'll lead you through it. So sure. there's nothing, nothing to worry about. Good. Speaking of worry, COVID is still out there. We've made reference to it two or three times this show. And the USCCB has come out with some statements that try to shed some clarity on vaccines that potentially had some line with abortion. And uh, obviously the Catholic Church has had a stand against uh, any form of abortion or use for medicinal purposes, I'll say, um, and medical research. What's the line? And I know some more stuff is coming out down the road. 
Yeah, so first of all, what, what great news we've gotten recently that there's some vaccines that are apparently have been developed and they're in trial still, uh, kind of coming to the end of that, and hopefully will be available to us in the near future. But um, something that the faithful should know is that vaccines are developed in different ways. Now, I don't want to get into all the uh, technological or that type of thing, because I'm not too familiar with it myself. But what I do know is this, is that sometimes vaccines are developed using what they call cell lines that come from aborted fetuses. Now, these would have been, uh, these fetuses would have been aborted, these children, like decades ago, but they're able to preserve the, the cell lines and use them then to develop new vaccines. So there are some companies that rely on that to develop new vaccines, but there's other companies that don't. And so the church is teaching or advising the faithful on which ones are morally acceptable to use. And uh, we will have more information on that as, uh, as the vaccines begin to roll out. The two that I'm aware of right now that seem to be morally acceptable to receive that were not developed using cell lines from aborted children are from Pfizer and Moderna. So those are the two pharmaceutical companies that have developed vaccines now that seem to be morally good, acceptable, acceptable for us. But again, we'll have further statements and information for the faithful on this. So yeah, keep an eye on the DOSP website. We'll have a link probably to the USCCB website, or you could go straight there to the pro-life secretariat. They'll keep us informed of what we can and can't and we should use to keep ourselves and our families and communities safe. Speaking of COVID, a question came to me at the dinner table by my daughter, and she said, if God has a plan for each one of us, did God, was this COVID part of God's plan? And I really didn't have a good answer. <laughs> that's a, so I said, I'm going to ask Bishop that. That's a good question, John. But I would, my response would be this, is we know that a lot of times bad things happen to good people, yeah. right? And we might ask, well, why is that? You know, why does God permit that? Why does he allow it? I don't know. That's a mystery that we can't answer. Now, I'm not trying to, to bail out on the question other than to say that we know that God does permit certain things to happen to respect our free will and our judgment. But what we also know is that when we are faced with difficult or challenging circumstances or illnesses, that God has also given us the ability to work through solutions to overcome those and to help people and to be there for each other. So uh, I wouldn't say, certainly I would never say that God created COVID, something that developed, but why has he not like just magically made it disappear? I can't answer that. Maybe that's something that we'll know one day when we're with God, hopefully. Yeah. But uh, we know that he does allow bad things to happen, but always has the potential or the opportunity to bring good out of that. Well, and it goes to the the question, sort of a catechism question, who is God and why did he make me and what is my purpose in this life? Because I think a lot of young people today, when they're struggling for their future, what's, what's my place in this world? And they want to be obedient to God, but they're looking for, God, what do you want from me? Sure. Well... You know, God had, first of all, he had no other reason to create you and, and me and each one of us, no reason to do it except out of love. God didn't need us to be complete or to be fulfilled in his being, but he wanted to share his life. He wanted to share his love with us. And so he created us in his image so that we could know him, 
love him and serve him as the uh, what was known Baltimore, as the Baltimore Catechism right. stated so that we can be happy in this life and, and with him for all eternity. And I think it can be safely said that it is really only in having a, a, a personal relationship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ, that we can find happiness and peace and fulfillment in this life with, again, the promise through the death and resurrection of our Lord uh, that we will be with him for all eternity. I think it's important to recall that in our prayer life, you know, when we do pray, God, what do you want from me? I can remember, you're familiar with this, right there at Christ the King, 3816 Morrison Avenue, where Spirit FM was, sitting in the parking lot in 1989 saying, God, what do you want from me? I don't know. I've graduated college. I don't know where to go. And here I am 30 years later. I'm still here. (laughs) Well, God is a mystery and his plan for our lives are are mysteries as well. And uh, I think we've all asked that question, you know, what am I doing here and what's your plan? I I know I've shared before that that was so much a part of my discernment of my vocation was just praying to God, you know, just show me what you want me to do and then give me the strength and the courage to do it. But what I would say to our listeners is know and trust that God has a special plan for your life, that he'll never lead you down a path that's not something that's good. Sometimes we may choose to go down a path that's not good for us, but that's our own choosing, our own free will. But if we um, give ourselves to the Lord and, and to God, I believe that we will find happiness and fulfillment in our lives. Well, as we wrap up our show today, would you lead us in a prayer that helps us open our hearts to God's will for each one of us. Of course, let us pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel, as we enter into this Advent season, we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ in history, and we look forward to his second coming in glory at the end of time. We ask that in our lives that the Holy Spirit may always lead us and guide us, that we may know God's will, and that we may have the courage to follow his will. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.